We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here. Tommy is here. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Follow us as well. Um, got a five-star rating from Sea Dog, who just wrote, best show. Uh, best in show um, as well. Uh, we are. Um, that's all you have to do on Apple and Spotify. Very helpful. Following us is a big deal as well. Tommy, it's the NBA draft tonight. I'm going to tune in to Monumental uh, the Monumental Network for some hard-hitting commentary on the Wizards draft tonight. That's how <laughs> That's how I'm going to watch it. How are you going to watch it? <laughs> well, do, do I get the Monumental Network on my cable? Uh, I'm not sure if I do. You do. Of course you do. Don't you? I would think you do. Um, I saw uh, your guy Matt Paris the other day on the announcement. This is inside baseball stuff. We're not going to stick with it very long. I promise you. Um, but for those of you, uh, for those of you who don't know, Monumental Sports Network, all right, Ted's behemoth media giant, um, they bought NBC Sports Washington and they flipped it the other day, and now it's called Monumental Sports Network. And they put out, uh, you know, an announcement on Twitter, and I saw your guy from the Washington Times, Matt Paris, who I like a lot. Um, he tweeted out the Monumental Sports Network uh, announcement, and he wrote, it's been three days since Bradley Beal has been traded, and Ted Leonsis's owned media network has had no coverage of it. But hooray, more robust team coverage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is going to be – you know what's so funny is you know this, working for 980 – as the flagship station for the football team for all those years, and then owned by Red Zebra, which Dan Snyder was the majority shareholder of, we got accused by, you know, typically our competitors of being the house station for the team. But of course, it was the, you know, it was not that at all. You know, we were yeah. never, we would never go three or four days without covering a massive trade if the team told us, well, it's not finalized yet. You can't talk about it. Um, it's not the way, you know, people want instantaneous reaction. This thing does look a bit like Pravda in the making, doesn't it? 
Yes, it does, which wouldn't surprise me. I know for a fact that the old NBC Sports Washington, which is only like a couple of days ago since it switched to Monumental, I know that talent on that network were told that they to be very careful about critical analysis of the team, which is pretty hard to do, given the Wizards have been so bad. Uh, and in particular, nothing bad about Ted Leonsis. Oh, so uh, yeah. I'll be real curious. And that's never an edict that we got. Never. Not, nobody wants to believe it. But we never got that kind of edict at 980. No, and look, never. look, Dan's the worst stoner ever. Okay, Ted is nowhere yes. near Dan. Uh, no. We all understand that. But Dan Snyder, I, I, Tommy, the truth is, I don't even think he knew he owned this, <laughs> that Red Zebra owned the radio station. Maybe that was just what it was. Um, but actually, that's not true. Um, but we never, we never um, got told what to say and what not to say. And if, you know, it's like I do remember, and I've told this story before. One, uh, our general manager at the time, not our program director, our general manager at the time, um, and I won't mention his name, but he did come to me at one point during a, a horrific season. I think it was the twenty. I don't know which season, twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, one of those terrible seasons, and he said. Uh, do you think there's any way that, you know, you guys could be just more positive about the team? And he had just come from a board meeting. I remember that. And I just said, oh, my God, what did they say to you? Oh, they didn't say anything. But yeah, I just think, you know, it, it's it's you guys are killing them here recently. And I just said to him what I've said many times, and you know this to be true, and you've said it many times. In this medium, and by the way, in the medium that they'll have, if you're not honest, you'll end up with, you know, the audience that like Larry Michael had for all those years. And he had an audience. There is an audience for that. You know, it's not as robust, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a house show or network. You know, they're going to be waving the pom-poms. And the pennants. Yes. Isn't that what we used to call the the team flags? Pennants. Weren't they called pennants? Yes. Yeah. Pennants. Um, and, uh, but I don't know. I, look, I, to be honest with you, I don't watch that station anyway unless it's for a game. The only reason I ever watched NBC Sports Washington was for games. You know, for Wizards games and Caps games. I didn't watch a lot of Caps games unless they were playoff games. But... I watched Wizards games, and I, I think that's I, – I, Rachel Nichols is doing a show on that station. You know you know they're paying her. Oh, I'm sure they are. Of course. Yeah. She, she wouldn't be doing that without getting paid legit, legitimately. Yeah, I yeah. mean, they're expanding. They're, they're making a big push. Look, and this is tied to the Masson settlement. Uh, not that we're anywhere close to that team being sold, but it is one more roadblock for the Nationals. You know, to possibly be sold. Ted needs those that baseball team on his network. He needs those 162 games for programming. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, you know, I because we talked about this before the show. Um, I, I did this poll and I did this segment on the show the other day with the news about the Masson 
you know, potential, um, you know, I know it was just for that five-year period where they they came to a resolution and Masson paid the or, uh, the Nats another hundred million dollars for the the period of twelve twelve through of uh, twenty twelve through twenty sixteen. I mean, it's not completely resolved, but I guess a major roadblock maybe is out of the way for the sale eventually eventually to happen. I had Chelsea on the show today uh, yesterday, and, and Chelsea said she thinks it'll be uh, sold by this time next year or before the season starts next year, actually. So before April of next year, do you agree with that? That may be, uh, and I'm writing about this tomorrow in the Washington Times. Uh, you know, I mean, we, we assume that, you know, this next negotiation for the next five years uh, from 2017 through 20. One, I think it is, or yeah. 16 through 21, uh, will go easier because there's less money involved because there were less subscribers. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the Angelos family, would their way of operating is they'd rather pay lawyers than pay pe- defendants, right. than pay plaintiffs, or in this case, the learners. I don't know why that philosophy will change in this second go-around. And then... Let's say we get the Masson deal out of the way, and that's not at all a roadblock. Then you got to negotiate with the learners. Okay? We haven't even gotten to that point, really. I mean, they had some preliminary talks, but I'm sure since the last time they've talked, the learners probably think they're, they're, the price of their franchise has gone up. Right. Because of valuations of other teams. In Major League Baseball, the Phillies, which is valued at two point eight billion dollars, yeah. So, uh, so the negotiations with the learners and are, are going to be difficult. I mean, that that's a lot of time. By this time next year, I certainly think it's possible. But we're just talking one roadblock in what will be a series of roadblocks. Well, the, the the thing that I was getting to was I did this on radio the other day, and I put out a poll on Twitter. Do you want Ted Leonsis to buy the team? And I um and overwhelmingly, you know, two thirds, actually sixty eight percent to thirty two percent said no. Sixty eight percent of the people that voted said no, they don't. And look, I. I don't even know if Ted would be a good baseball owner or not. He hasn't been a good basketball owner, but I guess he's been a good hockey owner. Um, All of these guys in town have benefited from Snyder being in town. There's no doubt about that because we don't have a rock star owner of any of the sports teams uh, in town. Uh, and maybe Ted would would prove to be a rock star baseball owner. I don't I don't know if he would or wouldn't. What what would be interesting to me and I don't know the answer to this is would it be helpful or hurtful to the marketplace if one person owned 3 of the 4 professional sports teams, major pro sports teams in town. Because I don't think that exists anywhere. I don't think anybody owns more than two in a major market where there are four. You know, the major markets where there are four professional teams, you know, a basketball, football, baseball, and hockey team. Stan Kroenke owns two in Denver. You know, the Avalanche and the Nuggets. I think Ted would become the first to own three or more. And I don't know if that's a healthy thing or not a healthy thing. I know from a business standpoint for them, 
you know, the, the centralizing of, you know, all these functions on the business side, accounting and, and, and marketing and merchandising and all that, they'd benefit from that, you know, because they've already got infrastructure for all of that. But I don't know if it would be good for the fans in town. My, my, my gut feeling is that it wouldn't be because eventually he's going to have to play favorites. He's also going to be potentially stretched thin. Um, but then again, there may not be somebody else willing to spend $2 billion plus on the Nats. I don't know. What do you think? You know, there, it was a small field of, of people who were interested. Right. You know, when the team was first put up for sale and Ted was considered the front runner, maybe once the Masson deal is out of the way, maybe other buyers will then possibly emerge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, there was a lot that happened uh, yesterday. Yesterday, for those of you um, that reached out and said, where's the show yesterday? I did do a show yesterday. Every time I got ready to do something, it seemed like the story on Porzingis was changing. And even when I put the show out, it changed two or three more times after that. Um, but anyway, uh, today we have you know, all of the, uh, you know, information on the Porzingis trade and it's draft night tonight. So they're going to, there's going to be a lot of activity in the NBA today. Um, but, uh, the wizards have been really busy this week, you know, going back to this weekend and, and the Beal deal still isn't finalized. Um, they still haven't come up with what the answer is to the Chris Paul piece, uh, to this, but, um, Kristaps Porzingis got traded to Boston in a three-team deal, not with the Clippers, as I described on the podcast late yesterday afternoon, but with the Memphis Grizzlies and the Boston Celtics. And they got back in return Tyus Jones, uh, Muscala Gallinari, and a 2023 second-round pick. The Grizzlies got Marcus Smart, and the Celtics got Porzingis and two first-round picks. Like, they got the best player, and they got two first-round picks. And a lot of people went nuts over this, Tommy. And I, I'll i try to explain it, but um, there, there's a lot that we don't know. But needless to say, the Wizards traded, in terms of the players that got dealt this week in these two major deals, they traded the two best players. And they didn't get one first-round pick back. If you had told me a week ago they're going to trade Beal and Porzingis over the next seven days, how many first-rounders do you think they'll get back? I would have said probably two. Hopefully it's three. They didn't get any back. And they didn't get any back because they didn't have any leverage in trading these players. Beal, Beal had $200 million plus on his contract and a no trade clause. And he and Mark Bartlestein, his agent, got to pick the team that they went to. So the Wizards had to deal with Phoenix. They couldn't, you know, have it be an open market, a competition. Um, And then Porzingis had a player option. So Porzingis, they could have actually gotten nothing back for him if he had just opted out and become a free agent. A free agent, yeah. In the Celtics' case, they had Marcus Smart, 
who first of all has three years left on his deal uh, at 17 to 18 million a year, and by the way, is a hell of a player. Now the Wizards did do better, I believe, in this second iteration of the trade knocking the Clippers and Marcus Morris in a first-round pick, which was number 30 overall. It was the last pick in the first round. I think they actually did better by getting Tyus Jones because Tyus Jones probably becomes a marketable asset for them. Uh, I don't know if he'll play for them this year. If he does, he'll be their starting point guard for sure. Um, And then he's a guy that people may be interested in at the trade deadline or next year. And they ended up getting a second-round pick, another second-round pick, but it's only five spots down from the pick they were going to get from the Clippers. But I I don't know. I, I can't tell you that they did poorly when there was a chance that they weren't going to get anything back for Porzingis, and they had zero ability to call the shots in the Beal deal. I tend to want to lean with Winger and Will Dawkins and Travis Schlenk know what they're doing and they did the best that they could. Look, they've cleared the decks. This is a you know tear down to the stud situation. They're getting rid of everything and they're clearing the decks for the accumulation of draft choices and bad con- and you know uh you know one year bad contracts that's what they're going to become a clearinghouse for over the next 2 years. I mean they're doing it. They're going to and by the way they are going to be horrible. I mean get yes. ready for 15 to 20 wins for the next 3 years. And hopefully it'll they'll land on some really good players that, you know, starting in 2025, 2026 you know, there's light at the wow. end of the tunnel. But that's how long it'll probably take. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you have to I – th- I would agree that I think the new hierarchy of, the, of management on the basketball side, all with impressive resumes and all with glowing, uh, uh, you know, recommendations, did the best they could. I mean, but they were handed a big bag of, of – and uh, you know they had to figure out how to get rid of it. Yeah. And you know, as we've said, I don't want to keep banging, beating a, a, a horse about it. But uh, Ted put them in this situation. The owner put them where they are. That's the crime. Is are the circumstances they found themselves in, not necessarily what they did to get out to work their way out of those circumstances. But if we just take the position that, you know, um, that a lot of people who are very optimistic and, and, and basically flush the past, try to learn from it, but flush it and move on, they're doing the right thing right now. They are doing yeah. the right thing right now. Yes, it, I mean, the crime is not, or is not necessarily the moves they made. It's the position they found themselves in where they were forced to make those moves. Right. Well, these people like Winger and Dawkins and Schlenk, they knew what position they were in when they took this job. When they took these jobs, yeah. they knew that they weren't going to have much leverage with Beal. It's not like they found out about the no trade clause after they oh, took the gig. Um, I guarantee you all of that, what they've been doing here over the last week was something that they had to get a buy-in from Ted before they ever took the job. 
I mean, that would be stupid if they didn't. Um, but, you know, I, it's like one of those things where it's hard to grade what they've done here this week and even specific to yesterday because they didn't the, – the Porzingis thing is a little bit different than the Beal thing from this standpoint – if Porzingis, if there wasn't a real market for Porzingis as an unrestricted free agent for him to make a lot more money than the $36 million player option, then maybe the Wizards had more leverage, um, you know, because he had to opt in if he was going to make $36 million a year and then had to sort of accept the trade, whatever trade that they came up with. And um, it, w- it was the best thing for him, if, if that's true. Um, and if that is true, then I kind of feel like they didn't get enough back. But um, I don't know. I think that there was probably a market for Porzingis. I'm sure that he could. He there were there was somebody out there willing to give him two years for sixty, which would have been a less you know average annual, but uh, a lot more in guaranteed money. And he had that as you know a bargaining chip. So for them to get anything back, he had to opt in and agree to the Celtics thing and. Whatever they got back, what they got back, they're just they're in that mode now, and hopefully they'll pick somebody really good tonight. Um, maybe they'll package the pick tonight and trade that and something else for picks next year. Who knows? But they are going to stink, Tommy. They're, this is going to be a bad, bad team. But that's what you want them to be if you're a fan of the team. You want them to be horrible next year and the year after. You want them to end up with a top two to three pick in 2024 and 2025. And then, you know. Actually, what, what you wanted was for them to be horrible two years ago. Well, you, you wanted, the, exactly, that's after, you really after wanted. trading, you know, Beal for a, a, a lot yeah. of first round picks and, and yeah. a much. That's when. Yeah. That's when you wanted them. And, you know, I, I mean, this is sort of a reflection, I think, because it is still, you know, not to let these guys off the hook. I mean, it is hard to believe that they didn't get one first-round pick out of any of this. And uh, it, I think in part it speaks to what the rest of the league thinks of, of the Wizards as an organization. I think they think that the Wizards are just a bunch of sacks. You know, well, that's the way they treated them, you know. I just think they—I think just think that they're just a pathetic loser of an organization that that they don't even take seriously. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're not at the level. Look, uh, the, the truth is, Ernie made some really good trades, and Tommy made some really good trades. I mean. What he got back for Wall, and then what he got back for Westbrook. You know, we can we can do the you know the arsonist fireman um, you know uh, analogy uh, that you've uh, put out there forever, and it's it's partially true. But they they have not been viewed in the way that that the football team's been viewed. I mean, even recently. Oh, I remember a couple years ago, the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, hammered. The Wizards over a deal that fell through, where their general manager said they've never experienced the lack of professionalism in their trade talks as they did with the Wizards. I don't remember that. Yes. What was it over? I don't remember. I'm looking it up right now. Okay. Um, I don't specifically remember what you're talking about. Uh, But nobody was more of a mark than Dan and Vinny were for 10 years. 
You know, Bruce was a hard ass and just wouldn't spend money on anything, basically. And then, you know, the Carson Wentz deal was an absolute one-sided beatdown by Indianapolis. I mean, to get two-thirds for Carson Wentz and make him eat the deal, I mean, that was that was horrendous from Washington's standpoint. So... You know, the, the the Redskins and even now the Commanders have been a mark for other NFL teams. And agents there for a 10-year period, at least before Bruce got here, would line up to get Dan to offer 30% above retail for their clients. I mean, if, 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 if a player had any sort of brand name, he could be 50 years old and Dan was going to pay him 25% more than anybody else. I mean, they were truly I incompetent. Think, I I don't think players or front office people, because of the 40-plus years of mismanagement, have taken the Wizards seriously as an organization for decades. Yeah, but but that, uh, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Ernie Grunfeld and Tommy Shepard, they drafted horrendously. Okay, that's that's the downfall. But there were trades along the way that were really good trades. I mean, how the hell did he ever get rid of Gilbert Arenas in that contract? How did he ever get rid of John Wall in that contract? You know, Shepard. Um, you know, you, you, we can go down the list of some of those deals over the years. And by the way, they were on the wrong side of some of those deals along the way too. But um, the real downfall of the last 20 years anyway you know, Ernie got here in 2003 because that was the year they took Jarvis Hayes. That was his first draft. I believe that that was 2003. The real knock, and it's legitimate, is they drafted poorly, you know, year in and year out. You know, Jan Vesely, uh, Jan Vesely and Chris Singleton in the first round of the 2011 draft, both busts. Aleski Pesheroff. You know, Jarvis Hayes wasn't any good. Uh, Troy Brown Jr. in recent years. Otto Porter, number three overall, really wasn't, you know, I. the truth is what came after him wasn't great that particular year either, except for Giannis at 15. That would have been nice. Um, but anyway, whatever. Uh, anything else on the trade for yeah. what they got back? Uh, let's talk. Yep. A, let's talk about the draft, and we'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show presented by MyBookie. Uh, go to MyBookie.com or MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, to secure a first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. Just use my promo code, KevinDC, to claim your bonus. They've got some NBA draft prop bets up. They've got all of the NFL stuff up for the 2023 season. MyBookie.com, MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. So, Tommy, I did some research for the show today on the NBA draft. Are you excited? So did I. You did? Oh, good. I can't wait to hear yes, yours. Yes, I did. Well, I did some research, too. All right. Well, let me hear your research first. Well, I read one story in The Athletic. <laughs> I read their mock draft. Uh-huh. And from what I read, the Wizards should hope that Taylor Hendricks is still available in, when, when they come back when they come for their eighth pick. Okay. I did different kind of research. I want to get get your your picks on what you'd like to see the Wizards do, and we'll talk about that in in a bit. But I did some research because I have said many times um, in the past during NBA draft week that this draft, you know, is just overrated. Everything about it is overrated. The NFL draft is so much more impactful to a team's future. The NBA draft is a total roll of the dice. Most of these players will be out of the league within three to five years. Your chances of landing on a generational franchise-altering player is slim and none. You know, a lot of drafts don't have one. Um, and some drafts, you know, may have two or three, but that's it. And so I went and did some research to make sure that the way I felt was backed up by the numbers, by the data. And the truth is that there was a surprising result for me where I was wrong. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but let me give you and kind of lay out the 2018 and the 2019 drafts. I went back four and five years because that's kind of a true measure of what that draft really was. It's too early to judge 2022 or 2021 or even 2020 for that matter. Although Anthony Edwards does look like he could be a true, you know, superstar uh, at some point. So I went back and I looked at the 2018 and the 2019 drafts and here's what I found. So 60 players, two rounds, 30 teams, 60 players each draft, 120 players selected. Let me start with 2018. The 2018 draft produced one legitimate, no-debate superstar, and that was Luka Doncic at number three overall. And some would even say, yeah, you know, Luka is a superstar, but will he ever win a championship as the number one player on your team? That's kind of debatable, but there's no doubt that he is capable of being that kind of a player. Whether he achieves it or not, he's a true superstar. And that was the only player in that draft that kind of reaches that level. There were four players in that draft that I would call star players and still rising. One in particular that I think may reach the Luka stage, 
but isn't there yet. And those players are Trey Young, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who I think uh, of the four players that I'm going to mention is the one that really has a chance to become a true superstar. Uh, he's a star right now on his way and you know in getting better you know each year. Jalen Brunson was actually a second round pick and Jaron Jackson Jr. who was the fourth overall pick in the draft is a great defensive player. He's not a franchise you know carrier to a title, but he's one of the two or three best defensive players in the NBA. So out of the 60 players selected in 2018, one elite superstar in Luka, and then four star players. And then after that, you basically got 34 players, Tommy, that range from kind of a low-end starter to a role player off the bench or an end-of-the-bench player. You know, like you've got players like DeAndre Ayton and Gary Trent uh, Jr. and Michael Porter Jr., who we just saw in the finals. They're starters, but they're not stars at, you know. And some might say, well, Michael Porter Jr. could be. But he's not going to be LeBron. He's not going to be Luka, you know. Right. 34 players fit the low-end starter, off-the-bench role player, or end-of-the-bench never playing. And then out of the 60, 21 are out of the league completely five years later. Um, In 2019, one true elite player, and that player has major issues right now, and that's John Morant. John Morant is the real deal as a basketball player. But my God, I mean, who knows if he'll ever realize it. Um, One total mystery in that draft, and that's Zion, who was – a can't miss as number one overall in the 2019 draft. And now New Orleans may be looking to trade him, you know, four years later. And then there's one player that is in that list of, you know, star players still rising. Um, Darius Garland is a g- really good player. And that's it. After that, there are 35 players that fall into that category of starters but not stars, you know, Tyler Hero, P.J. Washington, R.J. Barrett, a lot of role players, um, and then a lot of the players that just ride the pine at the end of the bench. 22 of the 60 are no longer in the league. So the surprise for me was that basically 43 players four and five years after those drafts are no longer in the league. I thought the number was much higher than that. I thought it would be a half to two-thirds or not even in the league anymore. You know, they're either not playing or they're playing, you know, internationally. But it's basically just over a third of the players are out of the league. But, you know, 69 of the 120, well over a half, aren't real. They're contributors, but a lot of them are just at the end of the bench or are role players. And then you only have really eight players, you know, the two stars and Luca and John Morant. And then, you know, another, you know, another five to six who are star players, some of them rising still. That's eight out of 120. It's basically 6.6% of the players really have an impact. It's a draft that we're going to see the fanciest of suits and pocket squares tonight, and there's going to be a lot of celebration. But four to five years from now, 
out of the 120 players that are selected tonight, and I actually think there are fewer that are going to get picked because I think a couple teams got docked picks. But um, four and five years from now, you know, you're going to be lucky to have, you know, two stars, superstars out of the draft, uh, or one actually, um, and, you know, maybe seven, you know, six to seven to eight players that are major contributors and are, you know, all-star kind of players. It just, and you don't know who they're going to be. I mean, usually they end up being in the top three, you know, um, like the players that I mentioned are in the top five or six. You know, Jaron Jackson and Trey Young and Luca were all top five picks. Uh, Gilgis right. Alexander was 11. Um, and in 2019, John Morant was two, you know, and Darius Garland was five. Um, but, you know, you can end up with Giannis at 15 or Kawhi Leonard at 15 or Jimmy Butler at 30. It's really. Evaluation, yes, and hopefully these guys are better at evaluating in Washington now than Ernie and Tommy were, but there's some luck involved too, and we'll see. Um, That's my research. Okay. That's looking back. What do you have looking forward? (laughs) Um, uh, I don't know anything, uh, honestly, about the G League players or Wembenyana. I know what all of you know. I've watched highlights, all right? And Wembenyama looks, you know, Wembenyama looks, you know, spectacular. He also looks like Chet Holmgren looked last year, like he needs, you know, to maybe play in Italy for, for a few years and eat a lot of pasta and a lot of food. Um, he's he's rail thin. But I, I, I will take the word of everybody that does this for a living and that he's the best prospect since LeBron. Um, I really am impressed watching Scoot Henderson from the G League, but those are highlights. Brandon Miller, who's a top three pick, uh, you know, apparently, I watched a lot of. And, you know, they played Maryland and knocked out Maryland. And then he was terrible in that game that they lost to San Diego State in the tournament uh, in. But, you know, I don't see Kevin Durant when I see Brandon Miller, but I see a guy that can definitely get a lot, uh, get a lot of shots and can really shoot it. But, you know, I can only comment on the college players with any kind of certainty. So let me tell you who I wouldn't mind the Wizards drafting. If they draft Cason Wallace out of Kentucky, I think he's the next best point guard. I like him more than Anthony Black. To me, he reminds me of Marcus Smart, of Davion Mitchell, who I fell in love with when they won the national championship and went on that run at Baylor a few years ago. And he's played well at Sacramento, and he was the number 11 pick um, two years ago. That's who this guy reminds me of. He will be a defensive, high IQ, competitive badass as an NBA player. He's got to get better offensively, but he's got a good stroke. Um, and I can see him developing and becoming a decent offensive player. But I I think the Celtics are going to miss Marcus Smart a lot. Uh, he was the heart and soul and the toughness on, on these Celtic teams in recent years. Um, and I think Cason Wallace, if he were there at eight, I would prefer him over Anthony Black, the other point guard from Arkansas. Um, I really like Jalen Hood Shafino from Indiana. He's a point guard, but he's a true scoring point guard. He had maybe one of the best games of any individual all season long when Indiana went into Mackey at Purdue, when Purdue was number one in the country, and he put 35 
on Purdue. And and Indiana won that game, I think it was 79-71. to And he had a couple of those games that were incredible. He played terrible at Maryland when Maryland beat Indiana um, this year. He, he was 1-for-14 from the floor in that game. But he is already physically, even though he only played one year in college, he's physically the part at 6'6 and 220. And he just looks like, to me, a guy that's going to be a big-time scoring you know, point guard and can play off the ball um, at the NBA level. I'm a huge Jaime Jaquez fan from UCLA. He seemed like he was there forever, but just such a smart, high IQ player. He's not overly athletic. You know, he's going to be there. I mean, I'm not suggesting the Wizards take him at eight. Um, Hood Shafino, I wouldn't care if they took him at eight. I'd feel great if Cason Wallace was the pick at eight. Um, but I'm just giving you players in this draft that I like. I love Hawkes a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there are a couple of other players that are gonna, that are going to go in the second round or late first. Like I really like Jalen Pickett out of Penn State. Um, I'm a Marcus Sasser fan for many years from Houston. Um, I do like Taylor Hendricks, the guy that you mentioned from Central Florida. Uh, Cam Whitmore, kind of. Um, I've been talked into thinking that Derek Lively, the, the center out of Duke, has big time. Yeah. You know, has a big I time ceiling. I wanted to ask you about him. Yeah, he's he, got a. He intrigued me from what I read about him. He's he's got you know one of those huge ceilings, and I think really what the Wizards should do is they should take the player that has in their mind's eye the best chance of becoming a superstar player. You know, they don't have to draft. Um, like they have the last couple of years, you know, like last year, the pick of Johnny Davis was more of like filling a role. Like they wanted more defense. You're not drafting for need. Now there's no need. You're going to win 15 to 20 games for the next couple of years. You're drafting for the future. You're drafting the guy that you think four, five, six years from now, you know, if he's still with you, hopefully, uh, but certainly three years from now, it's obvious that you've got a star player, you know, that you're going to want to pay and build around. That's what you're looking for here. And a guy like Lively right. would fit that description. I think, you know, personally, uh, uh, you know, I mean, look, Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Wembenyana, their top three. The Thompson brothers, I, honestly, I've watched highlights. I, okay. Really impressive, but I didn't. I haven't seen them in any games that matter. Well, let me ask you about yeah. that uh, because the athletic, uh, which I think does a good job with a lot of these things, mm-hmm. have the Wizards pitching picking one of the Thompson twins, Osser Thompson. Yeah, Osser is the with their uh, eighth pick in the draft. Yeah. And they point out what are the problems here is nobody really knows they play in that overtime elite league. It's hard to evaluate what they've done. Yeah. I I agree. That's a, I agree. That's a big problem. And, and, and this is not the time to experiment. Yeah, but you're 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 drafting potential now. You're drafting, you know, somebody but who how you, can you how can you tell the potential of that guy? Well, you can certainly tell that when you don't know the competition he's facing. Well, you do know the competition that they're facing. The the they're they're facing NBA level competition. It's just at what level of the NBA are they facing? Look, Naki made a really good point to me t- this morning on radio. Like, there's no doubt that 
um, that, that Brandon Miller is going to be either the second or the third pick in the draft. You know, I, I would think he's going to be. Um, the one team, and I mentioned this, that they faced in the tournament that played more like an NBA team does defensively. I mean, San Diego State got to the NCAA Finals this year as a defensive team, and they were tough, older, physically mature. You know, they had an older team. And Brandon Miller went 3 of 19 against San Diego State when they got knocked out in the Sweet 16 by them. Um, and so that, that was kind of, you know, what he's going to see at the NBA level, but you're not even projecting what they're going to be next year or the year after you're projecting what they're going to be when they physically mature, you know, when Brandon Miller's a 25, 26 year old, what, what do they think he's going to be or 24 year old anyway? Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be a lot of 18 and 19 year olds selected. Let me ask you about this. This is overtime league because I, I don't know much about it. Yeah. Only that it exists. Uh, if you're evaluating talent, uh, don't you have to evaluate them as they're tested in pressure situations? And there's no pressure. None. In an overtime elite league. Right. That's right. It's almost it's like a glorified AAU, isn't it? Yeah, uh, but you know, I, I've told you this just about the NBA in general. Like, you don't know anything about these players until the postseason, because the nature of postseason games is completely different than the regular season games. Like, every possession matters. Teams are defending. All of the best players are playing. There's a shortened bench. Like, there's all this stuff that happens where, oh, this guy's much better than I thought. Well, yeah, because he played 82 games that basically were like summer league games. They're hard to but evaluate. You, but, 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 but to I, bring up that, that point, Brandon Miller, I mean, it, you can evaluate players like that in the draft who have played in the NCAA tournament. From a pressure standpoint, yes, Tommy, but from a talent standpoint in terms of the talent they're facing, no. College but you bas- already sold on their talent. You already yeah, know what their talent that's right. level is. Yeah, no, you're you uh, want to see what their you're hundred percent right. You are learning something about them more so, you know, than you are about G League or overtime elite players because they are playing in pressure packed, you yeah. know, arenas and uh, games, and you know, they may be thinking about the NBA in their future, but let's not try to act like, you know, Brandon Miller didn't feel the pressure when he went into South Carolina off of that murder and everything that was going on in Tuscaloosa, and he hung 41 on on South Carolina with the whole crowd against him. Like, nobody faces that in the overtime elite league or the G League. You're right. Now, nobody faces what Brandon Miller faced, you know, down the stretch, period, because of the unique circumstances that he was involved in. But, no, like, like Derek Lively played at Cameron Indoor. You know, he put, like, Hood Shafino went into Mackey you know, went into Comcast Center. You know, the, these guys, uh, no doubt, I think I think that you learn more about kind of their character and their ability to function, you know, under, you know, the spotlight much more than you do. But my point is, is that college basketball is literally like, you know, CYO eighth grade compared to the NBA. 
and compared to that. even some of these, you know, the G League players and overtime elite players. Certainly the G League players. That's for sure. Um, well, I'd like to see them if he's available. Uh, pick that that big kid from Duke. Yeah, Lively is you know Lively seven one. Yeah. He's two thirty and. He's he's like a legit you know rim protector for sure, um, yeah. But he's got a lot of development to 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 go and uh, yeah. I like we like I said with all of my research, this thing is a roll of the dice and evaluating it as just a basketball fan. I mean, come on. I mean, we we don't know. Just like the in the NFL draft, you don't know. But the NFL draft produces. You know, starters like, you know, half a team uh, this year was drafted in the last five years. You know, so or certainly, you know, 40% of a team is probably made up of draft choices over the last three to five years. That's not what you get out of the NBA draft. But there will be a lot of excited people tonight, that's for sure. Um, well, following the draft, you'll be able to have a chance to have all the new monumental network uh, talent on, on the radio to talk about it, right? Stop it. Stop it. We're not going to get anybody in trouble. Um, all right. Uh, we have other things to get to. Um, there's not a lot of football news today. Uh, but you I know found... what we should talk about? What? Since this is your area of expertise, and you probably talked about it on the radio show, but not with me on the podcast, the NFL gambling issue. And players. Okay. We'll do that. We'll do that, and we'll talk about other things that we haven't figured out yet right after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy.
trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelley's. Well, Kevin, as you know, it's getting closer to my trip abroad over in Spain for the month of August. And one of the things I'm looking forward to uh, is to partake in some Cuban cigars while I'm over there, because there's no ban on Cuban you know, goods right. in Spain. They do business with Cuba. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some Cuban cigars, but I have to bring some with me as insurance just in case, you know, uh, I, I can't find any that are close by or when I first get there. And one of the places I would do that is Shelly's Back Room. They have the, the, the best cigar selection in the city. Right. Uh, cigar aficionado publishes a list of the top 25 cigars every year, and Shelley's has most, if not all, those cigars on their list year after year. Cigars from such great manufacturers as Rocky Patel, Romeo and Julieta, uh, Tahule, Undercrown, Ashton. What's your Ojibas. favorite cigar? Uh, I like uh, Romeo and Julieta. uh I like a Romeo and Juliet. Why do you like it? Uh, probably a Churchill size. What? Why do you like it? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know no that idea. much about cigars. Well, you see, see, that's the thing. I don't either. <laughs> this is one of my many disappointments <laughs> to listeners uh-huh. is when they want to come up and talk to me about cigars, uh-huh. and I say, "Look, Mister, I just light them up and smoke them." Okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, I I drink a lot of wine. I like wine. I don't really know that much about wine, and yet sometimes I'm with people that know a lot about wine. It's, to be honest with you, sometimes a bit annoying, all of the wine discussion, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'm interested by it, and I wish that I knew more. Maybe one of these days, if I can get off you know, uh, shows like Silo, or soon to be Louder Milk, because I'm going to watch that at some point too, I can, uh, I can learn more about wine. Um, but the cigar thing, I don't know anything about cigars. And because I don't smoke cigars, I went through that stage 20 years ago where I would smoke cigars, especially if I was out on the golf course or with a bunch of friends. Right. But I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't like, I mean, well, I just, yeah, it doesn't do anything for me. That, that's one of the great things about Shelly's is they'll help you pick a cigar right. that you really are looking for. That if you describe to them what you would like in a cigar, They'll find it for you among their collections. But how do you? But, but you can't describe it. Well, you could say I want something mild. Okay. You know, I haven't smoked that many cigars, or I want something you know uh, robust, mm-hmm. or make up some other adjective or something like that. I just smoke them. I just smoke them. <laughs> just give me something to smoke. Um. All right. Uh, Shelley's is the Shelley's best. Shelley's back room. Yeah. 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. Right. Um, so uh, 
The NFL, you, you, you wanted to talk about the NFL sort of reinforcing its gambling policy. And you mentioned something to me during the break that I did not know about. And that is a report that a player, an individual player, lost $8 million gambling on sports. We don't know who that player is, right? I don't think we know who that player no. is. Um, no, we don't know who that player is. This was uh, – I, I, I don't know who reported this, but I did. I, I found it on Pro Football Talk on Florio's site that one NFL player back in 2022 lost $8 million bucks gambling that's unbelievable tommy that's 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 hurt i don't care how much money that player makes that is a big time hurt i would hope that he negotiated um well you know if if he was putting it on basically if he was betting you know legally there's no negotiation if he was betting illegally i hope he negotiated a buyout number i hope eight million wasn't what he paid him if he was down that much because yeah, typically, well, let me let yeah. me just let me bring that up to you for a second. Okay. Uh, let's assume that you know, like, like he didn't just start betting when betting when sports betting became legal. No, I mean, Doubtful. you know, he's probably been at it for a while. That's that's the disturbing. You don't want football players in in to bookies. That's not what you want. No, that's but but the thing is, is you can get into a bookie betting on any sport. It's not just football. This is the thing about gambling that we you know we we've discussed here before. The NFL has all of its rules, you know, with legalized sports betting, and one of the things that they are doing right now is they are redoubling what they've called their efforts to reinforce the league's gambling policy to players in the wake of all of these recent violations where we've gotten suspensions, you know, including you know Shaka Tony who is out for the whole year next year for the commanders. Um, But the six key rules in the NFL gambling policy are don't bet on the NFL. Don't gamble at your team facility while traveling for a road game or staying at a team hotel. I don't get that one at all. Somebody needs to explain that one to me. Like what's the difference if they gamble in their car uh, at, you know, CVS on their way in, um, versus d- doing it in the parking lot at the team facility. But whatever. Don't have someone bet for you is number three. Don't share team inside information. Don't enter a sports book during the NFL playing season. And don't play daily fantasy football. Those are the six key rules that the NFL is re-emphasizing uh, with its players Look, the the truth is that the risk is that a guy gets into debt and uses his position as an influencer on the outcome of a game to get out of debt. That's a big risk, and that risk exists whether you bet on the NFL or you're betting on baseball legally or illegally. Yes. And that's why I'm, I'm kind of in favor of just... You know, look, it's not it's not practical. So I'm I think it would be best if professional athletes that get paid lots of money, if the leagues banned sports betting altogether. But that's not practical anymore with all of the access that's out there. Um, 
But certainly, you know, you can't uh, have these players um, betting on games that they're in or even games that they've got inside information on, um, you know, as well. But I, I don't know, $8 million bucks. I mean, that's somebody had a major problem. And you're right. They didn't just lose $8 million as a new gambler, more likely than not. They built up to that. I'm guessing yeah. they did. I don't know. When you've got as much money as some of these athletes, maybe they, maybe their first wager was you know ten dimes, ten thousand bucks, and then you know within three weeks they were up to a quarter of a million on each game. Who knows? I, I'd like to know what the 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 largest wagers are with legalized sports books. I, I'll tell you this: if you're going to bet a lot of money, make sure you're getting the right kind of price on the loss. Because if you're paying minus 125, minus 130 on a loss, which some legal sports books charge, my bookie does not. My bookie has real, legitimate, fair uh, VIGs in pricing. But think about it, you know, just think about a $1,000 bet, okay? If you lose in some places, it costs you 1300 versus, say, 1100 which is what it should be. No more than, um, unless of course you bought you know half points and full points and. Work. Well, in this in, in this ESPN story uh, that I, I've been I read, uh, apparently the sports books are working with the league and will alert the NFL if and when a player places a bet under his own name. Yeah. Also, geolocation technology is a big part of these efforts as bets can be traced to a player's home, for instance. Yeah, well, they're allowed to bet on other sports from home. Yes. Yeah. Um, Tommy, this I, I know we've talked about this before, but just for those that haven't heard it, remember when this first became news, you and I were doing the show together, the day that it was announced that um, legalized sports betting was going to become a state-by-state issue. I don't know what year that was now, 2014, 2015, whatever it was. And and the leagues were going to ask for integrity fees from the states and from the, the, the state legal sports books. And I told you, they'll never get that. The leagues don't monitor, you know, suspicious activity. The books do. The 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 the, the sports books, you know, in Vegas, which were the legal sports books forever. Um, they were right. the monitors of suspicious activity. They were the ones that told teams and leagues and conferences, hey, you got a problem here. We cut the betting off, but we saw all of this unusual activity coming in on North Texas, you know, five minutes before kickoff. There's a problem. You know, the NFL and the NBA and the NHL and Major League Baseball, they can't monitor this. They don't deserve an integrity fee. They're not the ones keeping the integrity of the games. The, the sports books are. And, of course, they finally figured it out that, first of all, the sports books were never going to give them a cut because they couldn't afford to give them a cut. You know, the margins aren't, you know, well, the legalized sports books have decent margins because they're charging a lot more. But anyway, the long story short is the leagues are benefiting from the increased interest, you know, in their games because betting is legal. 
You know, gambling's always been a big driver of the popularity of sports, the NFL and college football in particular, because football is the number one, you know, sport that's bet on. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, in so many ways, Tommy, I think sports, I think as a sports fan, you should feel better about the integrity of the game with as many sports books now that are out there legally that take bets. I guess I don't know. I may be wrong about that. You're always. No, gonna... I think that's not that's not unreasonable. You're... I mean, because it's in everyone's best interest not to have a scandal. Of course, in a scandalous business. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, the integrity of the games. I mean, if you don't have that then you have professional wrestling. And that's not yeah. why the NFL is as popular as it is. You know, I'm not knocking professional wrestling. I'm not knocking the, the – but that's entertainment. That's, that's pure you entertainment. Not that's not professional that, wrestling. That's not, that's not a competition. And for to remain a competition um, and to keep the integrity of that competition, they do have to, you know, hammer these guys hard. And they've got to make sure and do their best to make sure that these people, these players and coaches, by the way, too, don't get uh, compromised by debt. Coaches can't bet on any sport, NFL coaches, whatsoever. None. Yeah. Didn't we have a coach? You mentioned professional wrestling. Yeah. You mentioned professional wrestling there. You never got interested in professional wrestling, did you? Not really. There was a time when I was much younger where I would definitely watch, you know, on Saturday mornings, Channel 20, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and some of those guys from that, from the 80s. I remember watching some of that then and being interested for a brief period of time in my life, but no, never been a big wrestling fan at all. And I know you. I used to be. I, I yeah, used to yeah. be big, big time. And then when my kids were young, uh, it got revived all over again. You know, the Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper, Randy Savage era, I got interested in, in it again. But I go, I mean, do you know who sold out Madison Square Garden more than anyone in the history of the garden? I'm sure. Bruno San Martino. Oh, really? A hundred, like 180 straight sellouts. Wow. That's just amazing. It's pretty tame. And I saw Bruno San Martino wrestle in the old Madison Square Garden before this one was built. Mm-hmm. I saw him wrestle Cowboy Bill White. Wow. I loved professional I know wrestling. you did. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, just now, you know, my kid, my three boys never, I don't think they got into it. I think one of, one of my three boys is definitely, definitely follows, you know, MMA. Um, but professional wrestling though well i think there's been talk about creating betting on professional wrestling Mm -hmm. yeah well i mean you can bet on the academy awards too you can bet on outcomes that have already been decided but typically um typically you you are very limited in what you can bet it's not like you you can gain you know access to the information and retire on one bet there are limits on those bets you know when you bet you know prop bets like that it's just for these casinos they're just ways to keep people interested in keeping them keep them betting and the truth is they make money on those things too because most people don't have information and lose yeah. um so uh 
Yeah. Um, I'm just sitting here. I'm just watching to see if there's news because I know. Oh, I did want to talk about one other thing. Did you see the memo that the NFL and the NFLPA put out about um, about you know starting? Uh, they awarded basically uh, grants to research, essentially, you know, weed and how it could be used in pain management for its players. And so, you know, they, they've taken that step forward to, you know, eventually get to the point, which I think they eventually will, where, th- where weed's going to be a part of, of pain management for players and they're going to be able to, you know, smoke it and, and gummy it in any other way they can consume it. But that's, you know, that's a, that's a big step for the league. Yes, uh, it's a welcome step. You know, July 1st, I think July 1st, is the date where recreational marijuana becomes legal in the state of Maryland. Is it? Yeah. I didn't, I mean, I know it's... Just a couple of days away. I know it's legal in D.C. I do know that. (laughs) Um, I, uh, by the way, I'm just, here's another, here's another trade. Here it is. I'm glad we waited till the end. Uh, Woj. Um... Another trade involving the Wizards. Here's Chris Paul. The Wizards are finalizing a deal to send Chris Paul to the Golden State Warriors for a package that includes Jordan Poole and future draft assets. Wow. Well, that's um, interesting. So, I, I, again, just like with the, the Phoenix deal with Beal, I want to know what these draft assets are in more detail. But look, Jordan Poole is – I thought he was a bit of a baby during the postseason for Golden State. I well, think he, he was. You know, and, and, I, and, and you know, obviously you had the, the issue with Draymond early uh, in the season. Um, I'm just pulling up his contract to see how many more years he has on his deal. Well, let me ask you while you're doing that. Yeah. Take Beal out of the equation. Where would Jordan Poole fall in among the last year's Wizards roster? Take Beal out of the, the equation? Yeah. Um, Do you think he's better than Beal? By the way, he signed that four-year, $128 million deal before uh, last year. So he's got four years left on his deal. So this is a player... By the way, it's really important, and my guest yesterday um, pointed it out. There's a minimum amount you have to spend. It's 90% of the salary cap. So Jordan Poole's going to come in at at 28 28 million, which I think was exactly Chris Paul's uh, Paul's salary for next year. But the Wizards are going to be committed to Jordan Poole's salary through the 2026-2027 season. So this is the first player that they are saying we actually think that whenever we get all these young players in he can be you know a star player for us okay where would he where, um he was he acted like a bitch during the postseason for them yes he did um where would he have ranked on the team this year? He would have been there. Would he, be, would he have been the second best player? Well, he would have probably been their third leading scorer behind Beal and Porzingis, I think. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he would have led the team in scoring. I don't know. He would have been right there with, you know, with Beal and Porzingis and Kuzma. He can really score. All right. 
Beal was their leading scorer this year, right? He had to have been. Because Porzingis averaged 23. What did Beal average? I'm looking that up. Porzingis may have been. Beal averaged 23.2, and Porzingis averaged 23.2. And Kyle Kuzma averaged 21.2 points per game. So Jordan Poole would have been in. How could they be so bad? I know. How could they have been so well, bad? because they couldn't stop anybody. They, they could, There were games where they could really score. Like, um... I mean, those three players averaged, you know, basically 68 points a game. I know. Uh, I know. Let me just look up what Jordan Poole, uh, what he averaged this year. I'm going to guess he averaged like 17 or 18 a game, somewhere around there. Uh, 10 a game? That can't be right. He only averaged 10. Oh, this is the postseason. My fault. Um 20.4 20.4 points per game, uh, even more than I thought. Um, but did not have, you know, did not have a great postseason with the exception of that one no, he game. Um, he had that uh, really good game against Sacramento. Um, I'm forgetting what game it is. I'm pulling up the log right now. Yeah, he had 22 against Sacramento in that in that great game, which was Game Four. Um, that they won uh, after they fell behind 2 nothing, and they won that game at home. And he played really well um, in, a couple, in one or two of the Lakers games. But he was missing in action in some of those games. He really was. Uh, but 24 years old, can really score for sure. But this is, you know, this is a guy that's going to be around for a few years based on his contract. I guess they could potentially package him and trade him to somewhere else, you know, before the deadline next year and, and, and get a lot back for him that way. But look, they got back a lot for Chris Paul. This actually seems like a deal in which they're, because there was a moment there where people were talking about just sort of some, some kind of contract buyout. And I'm like, no. You don't need no. to be charitable. You don't no. owe Chris Paul any favors. You you are now. We're not in the culture of caring anymore. We're in the culture of of trying to win. So let's see what the future draft assets are that come with Pool. Um, let me see if Woj has anything else on this deal. All right, here it is. Warriors are sending a oh god, a twenty thirty protected first round pick. And a 2027 second rounder. So Steph and 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 Clay and probably Draymond because I think Draymond's coming back. They'd be crazy not to try to bring him back. Um, they are. They didn't want Jordan Poole on this team anymore. They did not yeah. want Jordan Poole on the team anymore, and so Poole they bring back um, for that deal. So uh, very interesting. Um, they got something yeah, back. That's an, intriguing, that's an intriguing trade, absolutely. Yeah. It's a big contract that they're taking on. A big contract. Now, that becomes, in many ways, um, because he's under contract and doesn't have a no-trade clause and he's not making $40 million a year, um, he's projected to make you know closer to $30 million a year uh, he's going to make $28 million in the upcoming season. Um, you know, it's possible that he's draft capital, um, you know, uh, he's trade bait uh, as well. Um, but they're, uh, 
they got something back for Chris Paul. Good for them. And look, 2030, if we even like basketball seven years from now, we'll be all excited about that protected first-round pick from Golden State. All right, so that wraps up the – man, the Warriors uh, – the, the Wizards have been a headline this week, haven't they been? In the NBA? Yes, they This have. is the most NBA – this is the biggest headline week for the Wizards in 44 years. I don't know about that. I think Gilbert uh, bringing guns in the locker room was a bigger headline. All right. Uh, you and I will be together again early next week. Um, we're going to do Monday and Wednesday together next week. I'll be back yes, tomorrow to recap the draft, and John Kime will be on the show, so we will do a lot of football tomorrow. This was a this was light on football today, and basically zero on the Commanders for the most part. And we survived. How did we do that? How did we do that? I keep saying commanders. I'm saying commanders more and more. Can I mention, I'm going to close the podcast today with this. I believe that Josh Harris and his group, when they buy the team, will absolutely take seriously the name issue. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, back tomorrow, Tommy, have a good weekend. Uh, by the way, you know who else is going to Spain? Me at the end of next week. I'll tell you about it on Monday. Back tomorrow. Okay. Bye boss. With the sixth pick in the 2011 NBA draft, the Washington Wizards select Jan Vesely from Ostrava, Czech Republic. He last played for Partizan Belgrade. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.